0: Welcome to episode 9 of the Think Wildlife podcast. Today, I will be speaking to Prachi Mehta, who is the executive director of Wildlife Research and Conservation Society. Today, we will be talking about the causes of human-elephant conflict and some potential solutions. We will also be talking about WRCS's research on the very rare and elusive forest outlet, which was rediscovered after multiple decades across central India. One of the main projects WRCS is working with is human-elephant conflict. So, what exactly is human-elephant conflict?
1: So, um, see, uh, human-elephant conflict, and uh, if I want to be say, politically correct now, it's called as human-elephant coexistence mm-hmm. but, uh, or interaction. Um, but that is the way people want to look at it. But if you say it is actually, in uh, my perspective or my view, it is actually a conflict. It's a conflict of interest. It's a conflict of resources. So, you know, when they, uh, human and elephant interact and they come to a particular level when they are very close and they are uh, physically also. And that is actually uh, leading to conflict. So, mainly for space, for resources like uh, crops, uh, water, and uh, when both of them, human and elephant, are interested in the same uh, resource is causing the conflict. So very simply put, yes, it is a conflict of interest between animals and elephants specifically and people.
0: Why exactly do people want to call it human-elephant coexistence?
1: So uh, yes, people think conflict is a very negative word and it causes negativity in uh, people's perception. Uh, that elephants uh, are causing a conflict. You know, for elephants it doesn't matter <laughs> because they are just, you know, um, going their way and getting what they want. It's a, it's a, it's a war of uh, mind, right? Like elephants will stand there, and of course people don't stand any chance against them. But in people's mind, if you say conflict, then it's a negative to start with, negative emotion to start with. Uh, so that's how some people view it. I mean, most people view it that way. But, well, what is right is, a, you know, you call a spade a spade. It's a conflict. So, this yeah. is my opinion.
0: How severe is the problem? So,
1: that is one of the major challenges, I would say, Anish, in uh, wherever the elephant ranges, is, that is in Africa and in Asia. Right? So, uh, conflict can be of different types. Uh, one is because of, uh, you know, um, elephants being killed for, for, say, poaching, for ivory, for meat right? And that happens more in other continents, in Africa, and to a certain extent in Asia. So that is one. Two is also because of loss of resources. And mainly, it is for, uh, you know, crop loss, crop damage. Uh, and that is also a major consumption cause. And when elephants come to the crop trees, and then people are there, and there is a You know, loss or damage of a harvest which they have planned for, also a property damage when people are living, which is happening a lot more in Asia. Uh, That is also causing a lot of uh, concern and uh, losses of human life also. And where uh, where it can really go wrong is when people also retaliate, retaliate to kill elephants. So you know, it's an angst towards what has happened. And uh, they want to uh, take revenge uh, on an animal. And when they get electrocuted, they get poisoned. And so there is um, harm or death on both sides, people and elephants. So we are losing life on both sides. So this is how the uh, severity of conflict is affecting um, both in Asia and Africa. So if you talk of mainly about say, India, I would say that because I, I am working in India, I would say that uh, one of the main causes of elephant conflict is um, habitat loss, fragmentation, Where uh, elephant areas were there, you know, they are getting dis- disrupted or fragmented, even little, little areas, little area in term, relatively, what used to be their major Uh, areas for roaming about so one has to understand that elephants are landscape species they are huge considering their body size they require bigger areas more food more water so uh, that kind of space is now getting crunched because even human population is increasing on the other side so that is why they are coming in close contact with each other and that's when conflict takes place and that is where the severity takes place more in areas where habitats are disturbed. So, like uh, if you say in India, I would say areas like West Bengal, Odisha, for that matter, Assam. So, these areas are uh, really facing severe conflict because the habitat there is disturbed. Uh, not that they have the highest number of elephants. Uh, highest number of elephants are in South and, southern India, you know, the Karnataka, Tamil Nadu, uh, Kerala. But there is also good forest there. Uh, but uh, when I've just talked about investment West or say Assam or say Urissa, there is a lot of loss of habitat. there. severe there is
0: How important are uh, elephant corridors in mitigating human-elephant conflict and what is being done in India to preserve these elephant corridors?
1: Oh, uh, yes, elephant corridors are extremely important for India. So, as I said, you know they are landscape species, and they will roam around. They would be expanding their range all the time. They cannot be contained in a national park area. Most of the elephants are like over forty percent of the elephant population is outside protected areas. So they go from one area to the other for foraging, for dispersing and these are the areas which are very vital for So these become the corridors and they are very vital for protection. Now in the corridors you, you have all different kind of land uses. You know, you will have um, resorts You know, just outside the National Park. You know, you will have all kind of hotels, restaurants, of course at the cost of the forest. Uh, you have uh, developmental projects, uh, infrastructure projects, mining industries. So, just because they're outside the uh, products or protected area does not mean that no wildlife comes there. In fact, the wildlife will use that area because it connects to the other area, uh, other uh, one of the other protected areas. So, it becomes a corridor. Uh, so, there are, uh, Project Elephant has declared about 30 elephant reserves in India, uh, just like a tiger reserve. So, it's a uh, It's a one kind of a protected area, but it is not, uh, I would say, um, defined as a legally uh, protected area as an elephant reserve. But there, what one needs to do is monitor the land use, monitor uh, how people are moving in that area, because elephants are definitely using them. So, you know, if you have movement at the same time, definitely there's going to be losses of people and, um, you know, elephants. Because they, they just want to go from one place to another. They, they, because that is their habitat. Once upon a time, that was their entire unfragmented habitat. Now it's been gotten into pieces. So how do we protect this corridor is what you asked. And I would say monitoring the land use. Because of course, people also require space. It's not that people don't require. People will require their business their livelihood. Everything depends on the space. Uh, even agriculture, so one has to have some judicious way of using these areas, monitoring these areas, and the corridors are very really important for monitoring elephants.
0: Elephants obviously have a very large cultural significance in India. So how yes. how does this influence the human tolerance towards conflict?
1: That's an interesting take, you know, because see, because we have a very large cultural and religious significance of elephants in India, I would say there's largely a huge tolerance to elephants, you know, There, there is like people consider as a Ganesh, the god, you know, so they definitely in their mind, the feeling is there. So when I go to my area and when I'm working, you know, to so my farmers, when they say, you know, when the elephant is in the forest, it is like a god for us. But when it comes to my uh, crop field and damages my crops, then it becomes an enemy for me. So, out and out, they do not want to uh, destroy elephants or damage or kill elephants. Generally, that is the perception. And that that is why we have more than 60% of uh, elephants in Asia. India supports more than 60% of Asian elephants. And one of the reasons is because we have a deep cultural uh, and religious roots for elephants. So, um, but yes, when uh, the limits are crossed, you know, when there's repeated crop raiding, when farmers are losing crops regularly, and sometimes they're marginal farms, who cannot afford, you know, like tomorrow meal comes from there, from their crop fields. For the entire year's crop fields, they store the grain somewhere, Some many, many areas, uh, their tribal, um, you know, uh, tribal settlements, which are raided every year, Continuously. So such sometimes people get uh, very upset. I mean, I would put myself in that position. And I can understand the angst people feel, you know, towards uh, this kind of uh, continuous damage, crop loss by an animal. And that is ta- that is the time when your tolerance gives up and, you know, you want to take revenge. And uh, that's where sometimes, you know, most of the times it's poisonous, uh, poison, poison, killed elephants are killing by poisoning and electrocution takes place. So yes, it does have an effect, in spite of our deeply religious, uh, you know, association.
0: So, what are some long-term solutions to mitigate human-elephant conflict?
1: Well, I would say Anish, uh, Forest Department in India is doing a lot uh, on their behalf. It's they have what I call it as engineering solutions. You know, so like uh, putting up trenches. It's called EPTs, so elephant proof trenches. So they are like huge pits. You know, they are they are very deep, like 11 feet deep, and so, uh, so they're they trenches. So they are like wide and uh, they're sloping the ground, so that if the elephant cannot negotiate this, because you know it's very steep, uh, very deep, and very slippery, and it's deep. So they are supposed to prevent elephant from crossing over. That is one. And secondly is uh, solar fences or electric fences, which gives out, you know, uh, shock to the animal which is passing through. It, sort of, it's a, supposed to be a deterrent. And um, then there are. So these are some of the uh, measures which the forest department regularly employs. They also give excretion to the people who have suffered crop losses or human loss of life. And you know, also just to sort of soothe them and give them some relief, immediate relief. Uh, so these are uh, the, the uh, solutions which uh, forest department offers. Also capturing uh, problem elephants. When you know because the elephant is a habitual crop-raider, coming to or uh, you know coming there or has um, have had unfortunate encounters. I won't say elephant kills people deliberately, unless they are provoked. This is my perception. Elephants are herbivores. they are not interested in human meat uh, or any other meat. So what I'm trying to say is that uh, when these unfortunate encounters take place by people getting killed and there's a demand from local people in the department will capture this elephant and keep it in mm-hmm. captivity, which I find is very sad. It's almost like killing an elephant. But these are the, uh, the some of the uh, measures which the Forest Department uh, employs. I would not say these are long-term solutions. The long-term solutions should be in planning, better land-use planning, monitoring, habitats, uh, because wherever the habitat is degraded, you know, uh, we need, so elephants need uh, forage. They are basically graziers. Uh, They need grass, they need bamboo. So if your habitat is fragmented, definitely the food is shrinking, you know. Amount of food available. So, habitat restoration would be uh, would go a long way in keeping elephants within that area for some time. And um, well, I I also feel that uh, preventing encroachments on elephant habitat that is very important because you know everybody wants to expand. So, agriculture expansion is taking place everywhere. So, people want one tree, two, trees, three trees, you know, they just keep going inside and inside the forest. More and more and more of land requirement. So, such things also need to be monitored. Uh, you know, at the same time, the infrastructure uh, um, projects like railings and roads, because that also results in killing elephants. Many of them, almost in Northeast India, you have so many elephant uh, kills. On rail uh, railways, so uh, these—I uh, mean, there are many. Uh, the department, forest department, project elephant, and, and many other organizations are also working, uh, you know, towards this, and it it is uh, yielding results in certain areas.
0: A lot of times, feds used to prevent elephants from wandering off to croplands and human settlements. So why are Fence is not always the best solution to mitigate human-elephant conflict. And what impact does it have on elephants?
1: So, see, fences are kept to exclude, you know, the elephants inside. As I said, just said that you know, if it's outside a national park or a protected area, it's not going to help because elephants cannot be contained there. Uh, fences also require continuous maintenance. So, if, you know, some grass twigs will be touching the lower rung of the solar fences, it's not going to give out um, you know, the, the electric current and it will fail. Elephants are extremely intelligent. Okay. And when they want to go, so when there is a will, uh, there is a way, they are all based. And because of their might, you know, they can just negotiate the toughest of the fences. If you go and see some of the videos on YouTube of how elephants uh, you know, breach their trenches or the fences, It's amazing how much they understand about where is the weak link. So they will get one, you know, a big tall tree, and they'll put it on the fence, make it flat. The wires would just uh, go down, and then you know they'll easily uh, walk across. So they're sort of mocking at our own, you know, intelligence that you know we think we are smart, but they are two steps smarter than us. So, but fences can work if. A private owner, like, you know, if I have a farm and if I take responsibility of maintaining my own fence, daily I have to see and maintain that no grass is touching the fence and, you know, it is all the, uh, the the current is running through the battery with uh, panels are charged. Then, yes, it can be an effective deterrent till the elephant learns to negotiate. So, uh, the older uh, fences with, you know, four poles and four strums. Uh, that elephants have learned. So now there are new variations of uh, fences, like you know, hanging fences have come, and they are now being deployed in certain areas. And we are yet to see the effectiveness of these. But yes, uh, fences for a or or trenches, even I would say, or a, or a long stretch of you know land will not work because there is one, there is no one to take responsibility to maintain it. To Elephants are very smart. Even people make their, you know, they cut across because they want to go across. So they will make short, short pathways. And elephants know. Elephants will use that pathway to come. So, you know, where one has to put the trench or a fence, it has to be uh, very understood in a studied, uh, uh, you know, decision. If you put a, a trench or a fence, Outside uh, protected area, uh, just between the two protected it's not going to help because the elephant will find a way. People will also find a way to go get inside. So these are some of the shortcomings of the fences. Uh, but if maintained well, if someone takes the responsibility, uh, it can move. Till the elephant learns how to it. So in South India
0: bi fences are being used quite popularly to mitigate human elephant conflict so what makes bi fencing such an effective solution so
1: let me tell you a small story anish you know in 2009 i had gone to china for one of the elephant uh, meet and uh, that's where i met this um, young uh, you know researcher like i was also there and she Lucy seeking She's from Africa, uh, you know, I don't know, you she's working there and she and I, we connected and we were discussing. She said, you know, she was almost the project, you know, you must try this. I am doing this experiment on my, I'm doing my PhD and we are looking at the bee sound as a deterrent for elephants. Because we have observed that, you know, elephants do not go close to any tree which has got bee hearts because they are because they're scared of the bees getting into their eyes and ears and you know we are trying one kind of experiments with the sound of the bees and that was quite uh, you know interesting and then uh, she gave me the buzzing sound of the African bees and uh, this was 2010 well, 10 years back and then i came back and we tried just the sound and you would i have seen this with my own eyes there was a, there was a tusker there, yeah? two tuskers nicely feeding on a paddy field With the sound, you know, they just looked very bewildered. And they thought the bees have come. You know, they pick up sounds very well. Elephants have extremely good olfaction, hearing capacity. And when they heard it, they started clapping their ears. The tails went up and they left the field within two minutes. And you won't believe the atmosphere. The farmer was so jubilant. They said, You just have to give us this call, you know, the sound. This is really working. So we said, look great, because you know we know elephants can habituate very quickly. They will very quickly find out, you know, that there is just a sound and there's an empty threat and no bees are coming. You know, so we said, let us do some experiments. So we actually did some experiments on captive elephants in Sakrebel, you know, where I was working. There was an elephant camp. We put the uh, we hit the bee sound, and we uh, we observed the elephant behavior, and we saw that the elephants started you know, uh, flapping their ears, uh, flapping their tails, thinking that bees are close by. Understanding this, then, of course, I was in touch with uh, Lucy and we just uh, exchanged notes and, and she said, yeah, so, you know, why don't you try more of, you know, this um, experiment? So, when we also went ahead, a step ahead, and we, we tried call, uh, actual bees, So, we put, um, you know, uh, tree logs, you know, if you've seen the, the uh, bees sometimes, they actually make hives on a tree trunk or on the hollow logs so so we tried with that like we just put up uh, hollow logs on the boundary and we uh, tried to uh, get the bees to colonize it naturally because if you release captive bees they're difficult you know they will leave so we tried with that and um, you know we got good success that's for some reason and so the, the logic behind this is that when the, uh, we put it as a fence, we try, the, try all the logs with a thread or a rope, know, And it's like a fence. So if an elephant is trying to enter, it will have to move the log. And if it is colonized, the bees would come out, if they disturb and they would uh, buzz, you know, they'll buzz and they will try to just uh, go ahead, be around the elephants, they'll attack the elephants and then an elephant would not come inside. So, this actually worked because elephants sometimes smelled the bee from far. Uh, the bee, uh, sorry, I'm, I, I meant to say the honey, Because they colonized and there was a smell of honey. So, as you know, elephants also have very good sense of smell. So, they did not really come close to the beehives. And they circumvented the path and went from areas where there were no beehive uh, fences or something. So, it, it also... Uh, you know, was useful as a physical deterrent. So, we started this work and we saw this and we were very happy and, and uh, in addition to that, the farmers got honey from that behind. You know, so they it was like a, a win-win for them. The elephants did come and they are able to harvest honey. So In our area, they could at least go up to 20 kg. So, uh, this worked very well till 2018, I would say. After that, the for some reason the bee population has been affected because of pollination generally all over the country and everywhere so now we are trying with different uh, you know um, like bee boxes and all uh, but yeah bee, bee hives can work if it is maintained and it is done well so we also uh, gave out this methods in other areas and uh, I think that it has a potential, but it has to have a source of colonizing. Beehives cannot just... Uh, be, bees will not colonize anywhere. They require certain type of forest, certain type of pollinating agents and uh, certain uh, temperature uh, where they, can, they will want to colonize. So it, a lot of experiments have to be done. But yes, it is a potential um, useful tool. But Analia, I would uh, say that one thing, uh, you know, if there are bears in that area, then one should avoid it because then it will get into another conflict you know of bear people conflict which is also very nasty if bears come close to your houses and farms so you know one has to not blindly uh, just adopt anything you have to look at what is really feasible and uh, possible in that
0: WRC is working in Karnataka and Andhra Pradesh to mitigate human elephant conflict so mm-hmm. what do you guys uh, do in these areas
1: Yes. So uh, Anish, we actually, when we started the work, um, we went to several states in India to understand how people are, you know, doing forest department, and doing other institutes, other organizations. And one thing which we felt was that, you know, in none of the, most of the areas, the farmers are not involved in protecting their own rights. You know, they just wait for the uh, forest department, with, uh there's some squads to come. And help to uh, chase the elephants out of their, uh, you know, fields uh, They said, no no no. These are department's cattle, which is we have nothing to do with. So we thought, see, unless and the forest department, how many people they will employ. You know how when I mean, they are working all day, they have other duties to do, and then at night they said they have to send the staff in to drive away the elephants. So this is. We were thinking that, you know, that is why they just switch off their phone and they are overworked, you know, with staff and they cannot be going at every place. So we thought, like, you know, why don't we involve the farmers themselves in protecting their own crops? So when we put this idea, and this is called community based conflict management, which is quite uh, popular in Africa, where, where people have tried some scientists like Osborne, local Osborne, uh, and they have, they have been the pioneers of this method. You know, trying to show low-cost methods to farmers who can employ it themselves. So, we really liked this idea and we tried to do it in the North Canada, Parnataka. So, when few first few years was like complete, uh, they were like, uh, they said, no, what are you going to give us? You know, the farmers said, are you going to give us torches? Are you going to give us crackers? Uh, I want, what will you, will you come at night? I mean, they would call us, you know, our team. Come now, elephants have come, come in, the, you know, whisk them away. Do so do the crop guarding for us. So we said, look, we are not going to do this for you, we are going to train you. So first few years just went in demonstrating a few measures, like you know, you can do night guarding on a from a safe place from a, on a tree, not sitting on the ground. You know, so if you have a proper tree, make a proper tree tower, cover it with a proper tarpaulin so you don't get rain or so very cold. You have a torch with you. So we have to start with basics. We had to put up demonstration plots. Then we ha- we started with a very simple thing called a triple-arm, like a burglar around, you know. So it's the same thing. Like somebody breaks into your house, it will just uh, go, um, you know, have a huge siren, uh, siren. So that loud noise, it deters the elephant, thinking that there's somebody there. And it also alerts the farmer that the elephant is now. So these are this is a very simple method. and a very simple logic. It does not... Uh, give a shock to the elephant but yeah it uh, alerts the farmer oh somebody the elephant has come at my doorstep or in my farm I have to go and the elephant thinks oh there is some some people are there. see in my understanding people's presence is the main deterrent for elephants when they know that there's somebody guarding because elephants are also scared of people it's not that they are not especially one with the calves, and they don't want to take the risk Tuskers is a different uh, ball game. You know, tuskers are massive and they are full of testosterone, and they just are their bullies, right? But when the groups are there, you know, they will be they will think twice for coming in in a place when there are people there guarding. So they will take the shelter of the ball. So we understood this behavior, and we started giving them, uh, you know, these options like uh, triple alarm, night guarding, chili deterrents. Chilli based deterrence. Now it might sound like a uh, Chilli smoke sounds like a joke to many people. It's so simple. But it is actually causing a physical discomfort to the elephant when it's done in a proper way. So we have various Chilli deterrents like thin Chilli smoke, Chilli breaks, Chilli dum cakes. We, we demonstrate all this to the farmers. So first uh, first few years they just uh, okay, you do it for us. And then when they saw the results, they said, oh, you know the elephant had come but I had put this Chilli smoke We heard the elephants leaving. We heard the elephant coughing, the farmers would say, and it has just gone away from there. It did not come. So, um, it takes time to change the mentality of the people, but this is what we are working. And we feel that there is potential in this method where farmers take responsibility and they are involved in crop crop carding themselves. So, of course, there are many, you know, yeah, sometimes it fails, like any other method. You know, the trip, trip the batteries, the, the alarm battery didn't go off, or the farmer didn't wake up, or things like that, or the wind direction was in the wrong direction, but the chili smoke came this way instead of the elephantry. So this this can happen, but does not mean that it is a failed technique. One has to keep on improving, uh, you know, and uh, improvising and getting to new methods which can really help. So this is what our project is about. We do bee fencing. Whatever is possible, is to just keep the elephant out of the crop field. You know, so once they start feeding, it's very difficult to remove them. But just, you know, deter them from entering the crop is what we are trying.
0: Another project you guys are working at, at WRCS, is the forest owl project. So what is so unique about the species? Oh,
1: I I love this project. So, you know, I just uh, said something about my most favorite Project and bird, so we are working on an owl species. Um, so this is a forest owlet, which is an endangered uh, owl, uh, an endemic to India. It's a small owl, about 19 centimeter, and it was um, it's it is found in a very isolated small populations in central India, central India in Maharashtra, Madhya Pradesh, and uh, part of Gujarat state now. So uh, they are uh, you know it has a very patchy distribution. So, uh, 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 we started working on the ecology of this species to understand why it is found in certain, certain areas only, certain forest areas. While similar sized, similar ear, owls like the spotted, the common ones, the spotted jungle owl, or the scops, they are all similar sized cavity nesting owls also coexisting with the forest owls, but they are widely distributed. So, we are trying to understand the, uh, what are the ecological covariates of the species, what are the requirements of the species, what is its diet, does it, is it so specialized that it is found in certain areas, what are the breeding requirements, what are the conservation causes, uh, the concerns for the species, and um, how does one protect this endangered owl, a small bird, which is overlooked by most, uh, most people because it's a small owl. And interestingly, it's a diurnal owl. So most owls are nocturnal, you know, and so this is a diurnal owl. So it's living with these large raptors, diurnal raptors like other eagles and kites and buzzards, and it's making its own living. So we are addressing these questions about the forest owl.
0: So what are some threats faced by the by the for forest owl?
1: So as I said, they are cavity nesting owls, you know. So they do not make cavity by themselves. Their cavities are made by some woodpeckers and bar, right? so or uh, some fallen branch. So, uh, in order to survive, any species, they need to propagate themselves to have a good breeding success, right? So, our uh, uh, forest breeding success has to be better and, you know, it has to, all its uh, breeding attempts have to be um, successful. So, sometimes what we, if the cavities are not there or cavity trees are cut, you know, during September logging operations or by local people for their own uh, you know, uh, needs because they don't see uh, the cavity. There is a big tree and it is useful and uh, we can pick it up. Uh, even for timber logging operations, it's a tree which is a uh, cavity, or it's a snag which is dying, so let's cut it out. But uh, so this is very important for the forest okay? uh, in The presence of uh, cavity there increases habitat. Uh, it also feeds on rodents. And uh, so, if you uh, if there is pesticide use or rodenticide used, it will be feeding on poisoned prey, and that is also it will affect its uh, breeding success. So, uh, third thing I would say is not only for the forest art, but for other owls, there is superstition. You know, people believe that you know owls are uh, bad women, or uh, they are they are the harbinger of death, and they are also caught for the sorcery, you know, black magic. Not the forest on it only, but most mainly the big owls. So considering the kind of ecological services these owls provide, you know, by feeding on the rodents and the agriculture pests, uh, they are facing a lot of um, pressure due to these uh, whatever I said, you know, habitat loss or tree cutting or unavailability of cavity or poisoning or set rate, or and also a misconception about uh, them in amongst people's minds. So these are the threats needs to address
0: for their conservation. So uh, could you just briefly talk about some of the other projects WRCS is doing?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, so we have a very long-term project which is going on on reserve of protection of a forested area. Uh, so this is in southern Maharashtra. So between two uh, um, sanctuaries a national park, there is a corridor, and this is not um, private forest. So this is I mean this is a reserve forest and. The uh, farmers. This this is a community land. So uh, most farmers just uh, cut the trees and sell it off. So we are trying to protect this tree, this uh, entire patch corridor by planting uh, in the farmers' land, by doing plantations for them, protecting the plantations for them, and making sure that these trees survive. So there's a corridor which is protected, you know, between the two areas, and this is very vital corridor for tiger movement. So that project is going on. So we are restoring uh, forest on private land. So what the government has been talking about. Uh, so that we are doing uh, for last year, 10, 12 years. And it's showing very good results. Now farmers are coming forward and sending applications that, yes, I also want standing forest on my land. I will not cut it. I, will, I promise you that I know. They'll say that, okay, I promise. I'll assure you that I won't cut it. And we are giving, trying to give them some other livelihood options, if possible, like making uh, home stays in their uh, houses, so they get some income. So the income should not come through the cost of the forest, but by through other alternatives. So that is one of the projects. We are also doing monitoring of tigers in, uh, in the central Indian landscape, tiger and other, um, other co predators. We have also been doing uh, edu- education for nature education. Uh, project in for tribal children, uh, but in a different way, you know. So making it more interactive. So such are some of the uh, projects which we are on
0: And my final question is that how can people contribute to WRCS's work? Uh,
1: people contribute is by we uh, <laughs> would say that there is um, you know we have certain a uh, very unique program, Anisha. I'll tell you. We uh, wherever we work. You know, the local communities, uh, we, uh, we have trained them in some handicraft items, you know. So, uh, we go and we teach these people how to make owl bags, elephant bags, whichever species they are sharing the landscape with. So, because we want them to think that, you know, this is just some money is coming from somewhere, you know, by making these uh, uh, products. So, they make beautiful uh, hand-stitched or hand painted products. And we try to market it. And those, those products are there on our shop and they are very nominally priced. They are genuine handicraft. And if people buy that, you know, the, uh, the local people will keep getting some kind of uh, income. So, you know, we give them money uh, and they get, they stay associated with conservation cause. Now their conversations change. So they say, oh, look, my elephant is better than yours. In such areas, we feel they will not do any retaliatory killings in mean, nature. And when that feeling comes of belonging, you know, when they I mean, they take pride in the species they're or they're living with, so it's the same thing with the owls. You know, when we have um, cavity-bearing trees in their farm, we say they, look, don't cut this tree. No, but then I need it. They say, I need money. Okay, so I'm giving you this handicraft. The women in your house, they're sitting. Uh, can we train them with handicraft? And um, first they said, "No, no, we don't know." Right from drawing to stitching uh, to painting, we have been handholding them for last now. It's been 16, 2016. We started this program, so it's almost six years. Uh, and uh, they they make beautiful products. Of course, you know we are not into uh, business of this, uh, you know, marketing and all. So it goes very slow. But yes, these are very beautiful products. People uh, buy it. It gives a good message, and uh, it encourages the local community.
0: So that is my final question for the interview. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah,
1: thank you, Anisha.
0: I hope it. On that note, I would like to end by mentioning that Think Wildlife Foundation is supporting many conservation organizations around India upscale their alternative livelihood initiatives so that they can not only have a larger impact on wildlife conservation, but also for the local communities which live around them. You can view these collaborations in the links provided below and even get your own merchandise from these local communities. 90% of the revenues are donated directly back to the local communities responsible for producing these products.